Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'm Tom Butler. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I I just feel like I get all the best passages. Nehemiah 8 is just a wonderful passage. It is a transition point, if you will, between what had been happening previously, which was uh, God bringing all of his people back from captivity to his city and then the rebuilding of the city. And while that sounds like not a big deal, um, it was a huge deal. Uh, They were scattered all over everywhere, and God stirred the heart of a a pagan king, Cyrus, to do this. And with the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra, all of the people were brought back to God's city. And so much of what we've been studying through Ezra and in Nehemiah has been centered around the activity of rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls. And we've had some some issues where we've talked about sin in the camp and those things, but primarily the biggest deal was getting everybody back and getting everything rebuilt the way that it was. And during the process of that, it took several years they would observe some of these holidays and some of these festivals and some of this, but it was never really fully complete because they were in rubble. They, the first time they, they offered the sacrifices on the altar, the, the foundation of the temple wasn't even laid yet. And so we have walked with the nation of Israel through this study of Ezra and Nehemiah up to this point, and now we're here today And in chapter 6 and verse 15, it says they finished the wall and they hung the gates. And so while this is not uh, a chronologically perfect story where we start in Ezra 1 and we go to today and, and we see how everything has progressed, it's not like that at all. But as we look at the text here in in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see that they are worshiping in front of the gates and we see some indicators that the city has been rebuilt, that the walls are done and that they are in a place of completion at least as far as the city is concerned. And that's an amazing thing. 
It's an amazing thing that they even got back. These were slaves that didn't have anything. And yet God, in his sovereign will and his sovereign purpose, brought his people back. And so all of that has transpired. Now we're in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. We're switching our focus from rebuilding and doing all of these things now to worship and the spiritual life of God's people. And that includes instruction, celebration, confession, and devotion. And as you keep in mind all of the things that these people have been through in their lives, and they're thinking about their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents who were in captivity looking for this day and dying in captivity at captivity and never seeing it. And so this is a really, really important time for them. And this is at the same time a time of great inspiration and aspiration for them as a people because they, they know that their people have failed. That's why they were in captivity in the first place, right? And, and they are living in the visible evidence of the faithfulness of God to his promise to his people. And they know, they have to know that they didn't do all of this, but that God did that. So they are finally back, fully back, geographically, socially, governmentally, and now they're ready to start living together spiritually. And it's been generations since that's happened. And it has to be a surreal thing to think about. I always like to think in terms of real people. It's easy to read through these stories and think that they're like cartoon characters or some, something that's not really real, but they were. They were real people, and they had real emotions, and they had real problems. And so they're excited. They're anticipating all of the things that are about to happen, but they didn't really know exactly what to expect. They didn't know what was going to happen. They, all they knew was that God and his sovereign authority brought them here and that God was with them. And then now here we are in chapter 8, and it says the beginning of the seventh month, which is the holy month, and in the month of Tishri, which means nothing to me or you, there is the new year, which is Rosh Hashanah, and there is the uh, Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, and there is the Festival of Shelters. And that's about all we're going to say about that this morning, okay? But they were anticipating these things, and it meant a great deal to them. And so the first day of this month is why they were coming together. That's why they called everybody together. And I've got to think, you know, there's, there's somebody standing there looking at all of this, and there's this enormous wooden platform. You know, TJ read that, that, that Ezra was up on the platform, and he opened the book, or opened the book, however that was, uh, was it like this or was it like, yeah, it was like this. And they could see this huge wooden platform that was built. And they had to think, you know, I remember back in captivity thinking that there's no way that this could ever be fixed. Standing in captivity thinking it's impossible for God to bring his people back. We don't even know where everybody is. We have no ability to do this. We have no money. 
all the temple stuff that you need to do temple things, like bowls and spoons and cups and stuff. We don't have any of that stuff. This is impossible. And they're standing there in front of it. And they're about to experience what God meant for them. And it is exciting. And they are excited about what they're about to experience. Have you ever been in that situation in your life where you've thought, I've messed this up so bad, not even God can fix this? Or I'm in a situation that has no good ending. This, this is even too hard for God. See, we're not that much different than these people, right? And what's encouraging to me as we go through chapter 8 is their focus and their vision was turned to God. Most of the people, at least some of the people of Israel, had to feel like that, and now they're here. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the celebration that was the the Jewish New Year, and then we're going to look at the Festival of Shelters. And what we're going to see is as the people of God celebrate those two things, there are two truths that are revealed through that experience. Number one, God is holy. And number two, obedience to God brings tremendous joy. Now, I'm putting myself in your seat right now. I'm thinking, okay, this guy's up here telling me God is holy, and it's a good thing to obey God. I got up for this. (laughs) Well, trust me, it's worth it because as you walk through and you see the progression for these people, it is a tremendous encouragement. It has been to me. And so how did they get to the point of realizing these two truths? Well, there are five stages that I've kind of pulled out of the text that they went through. And those are, first, they listened to the word of God And then they understood the word of God. They received the word of God. They obeyed the word of God. And then they celebrated. So walking through those five stages, and you can almost see them as you listen to TJ read the text. The first one is they listen to the word of God. And that is in the first six verses uh, where it talks about Ezra getting up and opening uh, the word of God. And let's just read this again, Uh, starting in verse 1. Actually, the passage starts at the second half of verse 73 of the previous chapter, but we we won't worry about that. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in, in their towns, the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all those who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon, which I had to look up and say, what is daybreak in Israel about this time of year? About six o'clock in the morning. So we're talking about six hours of time. Now, it was a different time and everything. That's that's still a long time. Um, Anyway, rabbit trail. So he read from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened 
attentively to the book of the law. The scribe uh, Ezra stood on the high wooden platform made for this purpose. Now, instead of going through all those names, like TJ should get a medal for reading all that, I'm just going to say there were six on his right, seven on his left, okay? So you can see this great big wooden platform, and there are all of these people up here as Ezra is reading this. And it says, Ezra opened the book in full view of the people since he was elevated above everyone, and he opened it, and all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. With their hands lifted up, all the people said, Amen, Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You get the sense that the people of God were ready for this, right? They were hungering for this. They, unlike us, they all didn't have 14 different copies of God's word in their house. They had memorized it. People they knew memorized it. They had heard oral. They, some people had pieces of it. This was a special time for them, a big deal. And when they got the chance to hear God's word read, they were ready. And they were listening attentively. And they wanted to hear it. Now, as they were hearing it, they weren't understanding everything, right? It's like, you guys perfectly understand everything that I say today. There are no questions. But I'm guessing that these people were standing there, and, and some of them were saying, I have a couple questions. I'm not sure I understand exactly what that meant. Well, God had put 13 of the Levites around in, with the people to explain to them to help them to understand. So the first stage was they listened, but when they listened, they had questions. So the Levites came and they translated and they helped the people understand. They answered their questions and made sure that everybody truly understood what the teaching meant. Not just that they heard it, but that they understood what it meant and they explained it to them. That was, and then that's what we see in verses seven and eight. Now, the result of that once they had it all explained, it was like they connected all the dots and their eyes were opened. And the result of them getting it, if you will, was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Because it said they all started weeping and mourning and they were making a noise and they, they had so internalized God's word and they realized our ancestors were failures. We are failures. The life I'm living right now that I was feeling pretty good about, according to God's word, I'm not where I thought I was. My life has sin in it, and God hates sin. And so they started to grieve and to mourn loudly. They received God's word. They had taken it seriously. They had taken it into their life and most of us would say, if you do that, that's a good thing, right? If God's word penetrates your heart and corrects your thinking and affects your emotions, wouldn't we all consider that a good thing? Because faith in God is not an intellectual exercise primarily. It is a life. It is a heart. And so, what they were doing wasn't necessarily wrong. So why were the Levites running around telling them to be quiet and eat food? Because that's the next thing. It says, 
that they, they were told to be quiet, and yet they were grieving for the right things. It may seem odd to us because it's, it's a pretty rare thing that we're sitting in church on Sunday morning and everybody starts rending their clothes and starts weeping and, and all that. It, it's, it just doesn't happen that often. But in the Bible, it has happened. And as you, especially as you go through the Old Testament, you see a number of times where that has happened. There was one, time, one, one instance in particular I was thinking of. There was a boy king. Have you heard of the boy king, Josiah? Eight years old. Do we have any eight-year-olds? I don't think we do. Okay. Well, we all know an eight-year-old, right? Eight years old, king. Well, he had he'd been king for a long time. And the temple of God had, had fallen into disrepair and it needed to be fixed. And he said, go out, go through all the drawers, find all the silver coins, everything you can so that we can pay for the repairs of the temple. And what they found was a copy of the law. And so the, the, the priest gave to uh, the secretary this book, and he went into Josiah, and he says, hey, look what we found. Do you, do you want me to read it to you? He said, sure. So he started reading the law, and Josiah started weeping and tore his clothes because it impacted his life so. And that's, that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. And so... They were told, be quiet, and you should be eating. And, and I don't know about you, but when you're feeling down, doesn't good food help <laughs> you to feel better? You know, you, you might look at me and think, you, you must be feeling bad a lot. But <laughs> And so they were to go, and they were to feast, and they were to celebrate uh, this, this holy day that had been set apart for God. Um, and so they did that. Um, this, this day was set apart for God because God is holy. This is important for us to understand. What they were doing in their grieving wasn't wrong. But what they were doing in the grieving and their sin on the day that was set apart for God as holy was wrong. And it, it, I, I, I know it's hard to understand but there are times in our life when the struggles that we have have to set aside so that we can take our undivided attention and focus that attention on the awesomeness and the holiness of Almighty God and take time to consider who He is. He is the awesome creator God of everything that is. He sustains everything that is. He, he is all in all. He is the I am. He is to be worshiped, and that is right. And that's what the Levites were saying. This is the day that is holy to the Lord. This isn't about you. This isn't about your sin. This isn't about how you feel. Today is set aside as holy to God, and we are to direct our attention undividedly to him. That's why they were saying, quiet, quiet, quiet. This is not for today. Today is for God. And I don't know about you, but that hit me right between the eyes. How many days, how many hours, how many times do I set everything apart aside and just worship God 
period. Through his word, through prayer, through singing, just focus on the awesomeness of who God is and celebrate his holiness and his faithfulness. But a lot of times we bring God down to our level, don't we? It, it just is easier for us to get our arms around. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, put it this way. He said, God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror. The thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made, him, made ourselves his enemy. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness, which I would say, some people say looking at the face of God would be fun. And he says, they need to think again. And I like the last sentence. He says, they are still only playing with religion. And they don't understand the awesomeness of who God is. It's not wrong to say we should fear God because he is more awesome than we will ever be able to comprehend. And it's only by trying to understand that that we can fully appreciate him coming low to us. And it's important that we understand how holy God is. I remember back in, in uh, Exodus chapter 33, Moses said that he wanted to see God. And he said, please let me see your glory. And God said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. It's folly to think that we could look on the holiness of God and live. Hebrews chapter 12 says that God is a consuming fire. His awesomeness is a consuming fire. That reminded me again of, of the story in Daniel. Uh, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you watch Veggie Tales, they call it something else. But in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and he told them to fall down and worship the statue that he had made. He said, but if you don't worship it, I will immediately, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the, uh, the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we will not, we, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. And you remember the rest of that story. It so made Nebuchadnezzar so mad that he told his men to stoke the furnace seven times hotter than it was. And they said, throw him in. So they took him up the hill and they threw him in the furnace. And the guys that threw him in the fire died because it was so hot. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in the furnace and he saw four men walking in there. And he said to his guy, he said, didn't we throw three guys in there? 
And he said, yeah, of course we did. And he said, well, I see four, and they're not bound anymore, and they don't look like they're harmed. So he called them out, and they came out, and there wasn't hair on their head that was singed. Their clothes did not smell like smoke, and they were fine. You say, how can you survive the heat of the fire? The fourth man that was in there with them was Jesus. How can we stand before the awesome, consuming fire of God? It's not in our righteousness. It's in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The fact that we can call God Abba Father doesn't mean that he is not awesome and holy and powerful. Sometimes we forget the only reason that we can do that is because of the holiness of Jesus Christ. That's the place that these people had come after the first three stages. They listened to the word, they understood the word, they received the word, and now we're going to move on to they obeyed the word of God. And this is in verses 13 through 17. This is where we, we come into the festival of shelters. And so now on the second day, this is in verse 13, the family heads of all the people along with the priests and the Levites assembled before the scribe Ezra to study the word of the law. So these, this is a smaller group of people. And they wanted to get in, they wanted to study the law, and it says that they discovered in there that they were supposed to celebrate this festival. Well, it wasn't like they didn't know. I mean, we know that they knew that. They even did it back in Ezra chapter 3. But they said, okay, we're going through the law, we need to do this. And so they went out to the people and said, this is something we need to do. Go out, cut off branches, cut off palm branches, bring them back and build these shelters that are going to be a remembrance for us as a people of God's bringing us through the wilderness. And so they, they went and they did that and they obeyed God's word. And the result of that is in verse 17. And in verse 17, it says, in the second half, it says, the Israelites had not celebrated like this from the day of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. They were celebrating. They were feeling good. They were obeying God. They had received God's word. They were obeying God's word. They were celebrating the way God commanded them to celebrate, and that brought tremendous joy. And I love the fact that they make that connection back to Joshua because Joshua was uh, uh, just this titan of the faith that they look back. Tight. Joshua was the guy that when Moses died, Joshua was the one that brought them into the promised land. Joshua was the guy that was full of courage and full of strength. And they're saying, remember those days? Those were the good old days back when Joshua was running things. It's like that. And they were celebrating. They were ecstatic and they were happy. And you think today, this morning sitting here, do we look at God's awesomeness for what it is? You know, a lot of times when we come into church, you know, and this is not casting aspersions, it's just reality. I come in and I think, man, I want to get fed today, right? Or I'll even pray, God, do a work in my heart. Change me to be more like you. Or maybe, you know, wh whatever it is. But all of that is about me. I want to be different. 
I want to be moved. I want to be changed. How about I come in here to worship God? I've got six other days of the week that I can get fed and that I can do these things, but there is a time when I want to set all of that aside and I want to come in and I want to gaze on the glory of God the Father. And I want to consider the awesomeness of who he is and the fact that there is none like him, none. And that I don't deserve to be in his presence. I deserve to be consumed by his presence. Except for the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians says that we are dead and we are hidden with Christ in God. Our old life is dead. It's gone. It's burned up. But our life continues through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one that made a way for us to be able to stand before a holy God and call him Abba Father and to bring our requests before him and to have a relationship with him. And these people were heading back in the right direction. They were, they were uh, listening to God's word. They were understanding God's word. They were receiving God's word. They were obeying God's word. And then it led to a celebration of joy. And my friends, this morning, I want you to know that if we will look on the holiness of God, if we will set aside our time to worship him for who he is, and then we will listen to his word and understand his word and obey his word, receive his word, he will do that work. That will happen. See, I'm not the project. He's the God, and he's the one that does the work. And he loves us more than we can understand. God is holy. He is just. He is loving. He is kind. He is patient. But he is, he is fierce, and he is without equal. He is a mighty God, and we ought to revere, revere him. And if we will do that, that will lead to our flourishing in him. So this morning, what I thought it would be good for us to do would be to take some time to pray. And in that prayer, not ask God to do anything in our life, but consider him and worship him for his holiness, for his power, for his justice, for his love, for his patience, for his mercy, for his eternality, for everything. Just sit and pray to God and worship him for who he is for a few minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray here in a minute. I'm going to start a prayer. And then I'm going to stop and I want you to continue to pray where you're at. And just worship God for who he is. And then Parker's going to come up and he's going to finish that. And then we're going to go into communion. So let's pray together. Lord, you are the great God of all creation. You are the great and mighty one. You deserve our full, undivided, undistracted attention and adoration and love. And I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm so thankful for this chapter that talks about this day that was set aside wholly for you and that our attention should be undivided to you. And I pray this morning, 
we have so many distractions. It is so hard for us to be quiet. And you know that. I pray that your spirit within us would quiet our souls and give us the opportunity to worship you for who you are this morning. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Ankeny Gospel. Mm-hmm.